You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Well, it's wonderful to be in Elk Point, South Dakota. You think, yeah, right. This town is 19 times bigger than my hometown. I'm going to tell you, I was raised in southeast Kansas, farm communities. My hometown is 100 yet today, if you count a few dogs and cats. (laughs) My wife is from Iola, Kansas. We have three children. One of them lives in Elkton, South Dakota actually on a farm seven miles north of Elkton, South Dakota. How in the world? You'll find out this morning, okay? I have another daughter that lives in Oklahoma City and a son that lives in Missouri in the cabin that Brother Haley is telling you about. Lord put our lives together, I think, for a reason, and I know that is for a fact. In fact, if you would, turn to Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Lord has put upon my heart some a change from what I was going to do, but I'm going to tell you about the ministry while I'm doing this and fill in some empty slots, but also to challenge you at the same time. Romans 12:1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why did I read that to you this morning? Well, I thank the Lord for the opportunity to be raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior later in life. My dad was actually in the military during the Korean War when a chaplain back then was able to tell him how to get saved and he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. My grandpa Martin was a Catholic, never said anything to dad about the Word of God, about church, never even went. And grandma was a Methodist, and they had made the agreement that they would not tell the kids either way about Jesus Christ. But my dad remembers my grandmother sitting there reading her Bible. He always had an intrigue as to what it was. He was in the military in Germany during Korean War at the time, and somebody led him to the Lord. My mother was a farm girl raised in Ellsmore, Kansas, which now is about a dozen people, lived out on the farm. But she went to a youth rally, and in her teens, she asked Jesus to come in her heart and to save her. And some years later, my mom and dad met after dad come back from Korea, and, and he was in the United States out on a farm. Dad surrendered his life to the Lord and went off to Bible college and went through school and uh, was pastoring a town, out in a town of Hamilton, Kansas, which is about 64 people. I remember kindergarten, first grade, and second grade being in the same classroom. But it was when we were there in Hamilton, Kansas, I was seven years old, I did the requirement that is listed right there in chapter number 12, verse number 1. Holy, acceptable unto God. And that is the beginning of our Christian walk and what we need to do. 
I realized at the age of seven that I was a sinner. I needed to ask Jesus to come in my heart and to save me. And He did. And He's been there for 50 years now. And I praise the Lord for it. Because the rest of this verse is what I want to tell you about this morning. How I got involved in the ministry. But I had to get the first thing settled. And if you don't have the first thing settled this morning, you don't have Jesus Christ your Savior, come talk to me later. I'd love to tell you. I'll show you from God's Word exactly how you can ask Jesus to come to your heart and save you. But then the rest of this book and all of the things that is in here is the instructions for us to do what that verse says. Paul is saying there, I beseech you, I'm begging you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Whoa, stop. That's un-American. We don't tell anybody you can have me and use me at whatever you want, right? But that's been my life. And it should be every Christian's life. We are bought and paid for, as it says over there in Corinthians, with the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And it's our now obligation to serve the Lord with what He wants us to do. At the age of 10 years old, my parents went to American Samoa. Everybody knows where that's at, right? That's a little bitty island out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean between Hawaii and New Zealand. And we were the first white American people on the island that were not either a Mormon or a Catholic. Big problem. But we showed people Jesus Christ. We preached to them the Bible. And now there's five independent Baptist churches on the island and they're sending missionaries out around the world. Praise the Lord for mom and dad. But I was 10 years old. What could I do, right? I'm telling you, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, it's your obligation to tell others about Christ. And that's exactly what we started doing is we're playing with those kids and helping those kids to understand why is a white kid being on our island? We're brown. It's because we had something that they needed to know. Jesus Christ. And I praise the Lord for all of those that got saved as a result of us being there. All by playing together, swimming together, having all kinds of fun. There on the island. When I was 14 years old, there was a man that came onto the island who was an engineer. Claude Eppard was his name. He wasn't a Christian man, but he was another American. And so he wanted to have Americans to talk to. And so we are there and we're talking to him. And he had told about places that he had been in the world as an electrical engineer, built hydroelectric dams, built all kinds of diesel fuel generation on islands, as well as fixing and repairing things to include starting up of Disneyland out in California when it was first started. Wow, this is interesting. And then there was another man that came to the island because we didn't have electricity. This is in the 70s. We didn't have electric on the island. We didn't have running water on the island. Their biggest road that they had was the airstrip where they landed a 707 aircraft. And half of it was out on the reef in the ocean and the rest of it was on land. The civil engineer came to the island and he was there to help them to get running water and to get some infrastructure to where we could actually become a developing island. Otherwise, we lived literally under a thatched roof with poles to hold it up. That was home. 
Praise the Lord for that home. It was dry, which is key. 204 inches of rain a year. Yeah, they had a drought one time. They only got 180 inches of rain that year. And we cry about water now, right? But they were influential in my life. And I saw that I, I love math. I love science. I like to put things together. And I said, you know what? I want to be an engineer. Most people back then thought, well, yeah, you're going to ride down the railroad track and you're going to be a railing. No, that's not what I did. So I started off to college. And I went off for civil engineering. Two years of that, and I decided, you know what? I am not sitting at a desk. I cannot do it. I'm going to change my major to construction engineering so that I can be out in the field doing the work. Now, as a kid, when we come back from Samoa, I actually was out on the farm a lot, working ground, having all kinds of fun. In fact, as you'll find out here in a minute, I'm going up to help my son-in-law on the farm up there by Elkton for the next few weeks. But the Lord allowed me to graduate from college and join the military. And so I joined the military. First off, I was really, well, I won't say stupid, but I was pretty close to it. And I went in and enlisted. I'm not trying to be offensive to those that are, but you know, you get a lot more pay for doing a whole lot more responsibility, but maybe not the physical work as an officer. But I went in as an enlisted heavy equipment operator. And I spent a year and a half, went from E3 to E5 in 13 months. I said, you know what, I'm wasting my time. I'm going to go back. I'm going to finish my degree. I did. Double major, double minored in engineering, engineering management. Went back on active duty in the military. And as a lieutenant, I went to Germany in 1990. Desert Shield and Desert Storm just started. In fact, they called me when I was in school and they said, what is your boot size, your hat size, your uniform size? Because we're getting you DCUs, desert camouflage uniform. And when you get here, be prepared to go down to Saudi Arabia or Kuwait. Well, being in a construction unit with bulldozers and scrapers and graders and all those heavy pieces, they didn't want to move us all. So they took my operators of those my dozers down to the desert and they used them. A hundred hours later, they came back home. We'd already got success, right? And we did. You know why? Because we had God on our side. It's not anything else. I stayed in the military and came back to the United States after three years in Germany and went off to my advanced course taught at the advanced course as the engineer being there to teach those people how to do engineering type things and then the military calls me up and says we need you to go to portland oregon there is no army base in portland oregon why would you need me there we need you as an advisor to work with the national guard and reserve units in washington state and oregon state to prepare them that if they have to be mobilized for war they'll be ready and so I went out there. 26 months of torture. Anybody from Oregon? Good. We hated it. If we wanted to see sunshine, I mean, if we wanted to see sunshine, we would load up in the car and drive up to the high desert about three and a half hours away. Otherwise, literally, I had a hovercraft lawnmower because the wheels would sink. You walk across your yard, you'd sink in. 
And I'd like to say at that time that I told the, you know, the, the Lord, I said, Lord, just get me out of this place. I didn't. But they offered me Kwajalein Island, Kuwait, or Korea. And I said, no. And they called back about six months later because as an officer, you have to call to get your assignments. And they said, we've got an opening in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I said, I'll take it. It wasn't Korea for a year without my wife and kids. It wasn't Kwajalein Island without my wife and three kids for a year. And it wasn't over in Kuwait for a, three years, or for a year without them either. I thought, hmm, I'm going to go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. What is there in Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Farm community. I've got to love it, right? And I did. I, in fact, we stayed from 99 to 2003 in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That's where my oldest daughter met her husband and is now on the farm. But during that time, I met a man at Eastside Baptist Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I, everywhere I've been in my life, I always go and get involved in independent Baptist churches. That's why I feel at home with you this morning. Why? Because we have the Bible. We're, we're preaching God's word. We're, we're studying his word. We're doing what he said, just like it is in this verse. Go to Eastside, Brother William Byers, a man who had been involved in printing ministry for 15 years, is up and he's preaching. And you remember the night. And the Lord spoke to me during that message. He says, Samuel, I want you to do that. I said, Lord, I've got five years until I can retire from the military. I'm a major. I'll make lieutenant colonel. And then I, and the Lord says, who controls your breath? That'll get your attention. Amen. You don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. That's right. You don't have a guarantee of me finishing this service. And it might be because he takes us all home. But we none of us have a guarantee of any time other than what God has already appointed. Yeah. And I said, Lord, okay, I'll do it. And I said it with a happy heart because literally the Lord had impressed upon me about what Brother Byers was doing. And he had, after the service, he come up to him and he said, Samuel, Jenny and I have been praying for 12 years for someone to come alongside us and help us in this ministry. And I said, okay. He said, you know anything about printing? And I said, well, when I was in college, I ran a press for a little while. But other than that, no, I don't know anything about it. He says, good. He showed me and he told me all about the world missions bearing precious seed ministry. What it does, how it goes about it. And I'm going to tell you about that this morning. I had no clue at that time that it even existed that there were churches that were that involved in getting God's word out around the world. We surrendered. I put my paperwork in and instead of retire, or excuse me, getting out of I got off of active duty, but instead of just getting out of the military, I transferred to the reserves one week ago this month, September the 1st, 2001. What happened just a few days later? September 11th. Lord had a timing in all of it. I transferred from active duty to the reserves one September 2001. In that time frame, from the time of surrendering until the time of 1 September 2001, the Lord allowed Brother Byers to go home to heaven 
He had esophageal cancer and we did not know that at the time that I met him and surrendered to do the ministry. But he had a grapefruit size tumor at the top of his stomach, bottom of his esophagus. The Lord allowed him to go home with be with him in August, two weeks before I started doing this ministry. During that time frame that I was able to get off from my job and go, I would go to the hospital and talk to Brother Byers about the ministry and what it involved. He wasn't able for a long time to even visit. In fact, I wasn't even guaranteed when I'd get off to go to the hospital that he'd be able to talk to me. And he'd literally tell other people, he says, I'm not going to say nothing. Or Jenny, would, his wife, would say, he's not visiting with people. He's glad that you're there and wants to pray with. You know, you can pray with. But he's not going to visit because he's saving his voice, what's left of it, so that he can talk to Samuel about the ministry. I remember going in one day early on, and I said, Brother Byers, I said, how do you decide who gets the scripture and he told me something that's very important because this is something you need to remember too. He said, who's worthy? And I got to thinking about that in my own life. Am I worthy? Oh, I've got Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He's there. He's been there for a number of years. And at that time, he'd been there for 31. But am I doing what he wants me to do with the life that he's given me? I had fun as an engineer, and I, I enjoyed doing the, the projects that I've done all over the world. I can build you anything you want built. In fact, later on, I was the basing and facilities director for all the Afghan basing for General Petraeus in 2010 and 11. I can build it, you name it. I was doing what God wanted me to do up until I surrendered to do this ministry. But the Lord said, Samuel, that was not all for naught. All of the things that you've experienced in your life, all the things that I've allowed you to do, all of that was training for what I want you to do now. You say, how in the world could that be? I wasn't in the printing ministry. Because God was showing me everywhere that I went in the world, no matter what the people looked like, no matter the color of their skin, no matter if they're male or female, no matter if they're abilities or non-abilities, every last person in this world has a soul. Yeah. And that soul needs Jesus Christ as their yeah. Savior. Yes. I've been in 50 countries of the world. I've been around the globe in my life, and I never even dreamed that would be possible. Do you know what God's got in store for you? Do you know what all he wants you to do? Will take you? But if you surrender your life and say, Lord, use me as you want me to be used. Yes. There's endless possibilities. I had no clue growing up. Doing and seeing and experiencing all of the things. But you know what? God showed me. So that I could be doing what he's asking me to do now. Yes. Amen. I joined the reserves in 2001. Brother Byers, Brother Spencer, and another man by the name of Charles Schultz at the church at the time said, Samuel, don't throw away 15 years 
the Lord has allowed you to have that and he allows you to have a reserve job in the reserves of the United States Army and you can still retire. And I said, okay, I'll do that, but I'm going to do this ministry and I put my whole heart into doing the ministry and I praise the Lord for it. The Army called me back up in 2003 and I went to Fort Carson, Colorado for a year mobilizing the units from South Dakota and North Dakota over to the desert. And I must say, not a single one of those individuals was killed over there. Praise the Lord for it. Well, I thought maybe that would be the end of it, but in 2005, they called me again and they said, we need you. I was in a reserve unit in Kansas City. They said, we'll need you in February of 2006 for an entire year. And I said, okay, not a problem. And so I was ready, trained up, ready to go. I was a major at the time, and I was in charge of what they call a facility engineer detachment, all professional engineers from different disciplines. And we went over to Afghanistan. And I was in charge of all of the basin and facilities in what they call Regional Command East at that time, which was the U.S. sector of Afghanistan under then Colonel Nicholson. All of the things that we built from the desert floor or from the mountainsides or wherever we was allowed to rent land, we built bases for the people to stay in and then housing to keep them safe. But that wasn't the most important thing that I did while I was in Afghanistan that year. I got to work with hundreds, literally thousands of engineers that are doing construction, building these, to include local national Afghan people who are Islamic. After about three months of working with these contractors who were coming in and doing 51 brick and mortar buildings for us, building them on the, the places that we were occupying, one of those young men come up to me one day and he says, Major Martin, he says, what do you do back in the United States? You must be in charge of some big construction company. You're teaching us, you're training us, you're helping us. To, to do and you're increasing our productivity our, our profits are increasing he said what do you do and I said I get to go to churches back in the United States of America that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and I get to collect up funds from those churches so that we can print Bibles and John and Romans so that you can have in your language God's word that in itself in an Islamic country is a death sentence. They, if I would have been off base, could have just immediately killed me and been done and over with. But you know, I found out while I was in Afghanistan, not only can I be a witness to the soldiers, but I can be a witness to those Islamic people over there. Yes, if we present our bodies, God will use us. Amen. No matter where we're at or what we're doing, we can be voicing, we can be showing with our body, our actions and things, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know those men respected me more after that? I happened to have a, a man who come out of a different country over there to Afghanistan one day and he was needing some help. And he came up and Colonel Nicholson and I was standing there talking about something and he introduced himself and told about it. He says, now... He says, I'm a missionary and I come out of this other country and I go to underground churches in Afghanistan. Think about that. 
knowing it's a death sentence if you even say Jesus Christ, if you have a Bible, they're willing to do it. He said, please don't mention my name. Please don't mention where I'm at. He said, but pray for the people in the churches, underground churches in Afghanistan. And they got to speaking to my heart and says, how bold am I to proclaim Jesus Christ no matter where I go? I've been on the mission field as a kid. I've visited several countries of the world as a mission effort. And I try to be a bold Proclaimer of Jesus Christ, no matter where I go. But if I was in a country where it's illegal and they could literally kill me and not have to say anything except for all they did was mention Jesus, would you do it? Huh? Verse says they're a living sacrifice. He doesn't want you dead. He wants you to speak boldly and proclaim his word. And I'm glad that I've been able to do that. Military then called me back up. I come back from the, to the United States. I took command of a unit in St. Louis, Missouri then, another professional engineer group of people called a facility engineer detachment. They called me back up and in 2010 and 11, I took a group of Engineers, and we went back, and I was in Kabul. I was the basing and facilities director for all the Afghan bases, all 462 of those FOBs, forward operating bases in Afghanistan. Anything that was built that was a permanency, I had to approve or deny. If it was over $750,000, I had to approve it or deny it. But I had these rules from Congress that says these things must be met in order to do this. And General Petraeus was my boss, and I, my job was to keep him out of hot water when it come to doing all of those construction things. And I denied things, and people got mad, but I still spent over $4 billion in construction in 10 months so that we could develop bases so that the Afghan military could take over that after we leave the country. And in 2010, I was doing drawdown plans that are still being in effect today in that country. I could have gloated in, wow, I retained in General Petraeus when he signed in my papers because I put in retirement papers. He said, Samuel, you're going to make a general. Why in the world wouldn't you want to? And I said, I cannot and I will not put up with the political environment. And the higher rank you get, the more political it becomes. But I had a basic training command at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri in 1995 and 96. And there was a female soldier that admitted she was a homosexual and therefore was dismissible under the Uniform Code of Military Justice at the time for an act of homosexuality just by saying that you were. And I kicked her out. That comes from the Bible. It's wrong. It's an abomination. And you see, my morals don't go with the world's morals. It goes with God. General Petraeus had asked me why, and I said, sir, you know, as a colonel, as a general, not only would I just not be able to say anything or do I would have to go and openly promote these, and I cannot. And he said, you're right. He signed my dismissal papers, and I retired in 2011 from the military, 24 years and eight months, and I don't regret a single bit of it. Lord was good to me. 
kept me safe. Desert shield, desert storm, and twice in Afghanistan. But you know the most dangerous thing I've ever done? Preached to a bunch of Baptists before a fellowship lunch on Sunday. <laughs> Get out of the way, my food's awaiting. <laughs> You know what? That's about the truth of it. Wherever you are in God's will, you're invincible. You're in Elk Point, South Dakota. You're invincible right here as a witness for him if you do what he's asking you to do. Step out of his will and out of where he wants you. He's got a pretty good direction, bolt finder. He'll zap you. He'll wake you up. And I tried to remember all of my life since I accepted Christ as my Savior that I'm His child. I'm in His hand, in His care. Nobody can take me out of it. And I don't regret stepping away from active duty. I could have retired earlier. But that wasn't the point. The Lord was taking care of me. But when I said to Brother Byers that I will start doing this ministry because that's what the Lord asked me to do, I had no clue what all included nor what it would allow me to be and do. I get the privilege of going to churches just like this one to love the Lord and want to see His Word get out around the world. But Brother Byers introduced us to me. He had eight churches that helped him to print the Word of God, to work this up, and to send the missionaries around the world. We have 31 churches right now that are helping us to do this. Amen. We have churches like you that will get involved in helping to get the Scripture printed. I can buy the paper to print all of this and get it printed for 14 cents a copy. But yet, this is the most powerful thing on earth. This will change the hearts of people no matter what country, what language, Amen. what conditions in which they live. Amen. See, I can give you all the modern conveniences, nice places, all the amenities, but that's not really what you need. Right. Right. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. And I get to do that by getting the Word of God to people around the world. Amen. We started doing this. I didn't have a clue how hard it was going to be. I'm not a salesman. You need something, you're smart enough to go buy it. I don't need to convince you that you need it. I'm just that way. I, that's my life. I go to the store, I'll talk myself, myself out of things at the store. I hate spending money. I really do. Yeah. Except for when it comes to buying paper, printing it, and sending it to missionaries around the world. Brother Byers told me about shipping a couple of containers of scripture in his life. I think he had been able to send about two million of these John and Romans in the 15 years that he'd been doing this ministry. And the Lord has allowed me to ship over 16 million of them in the last 18 years now. Oh, 16 different languages to 28 countries of the world. How does it work? I go to churches like this that love the Lord. They'll want to get involved in seeing others get to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I ask you to help me to buy the paper. And then I have churches, just like here in South Dakota. I've got some churches that are helping to put this together. They take the printed pieces, and oh, it's not all 100 pages, okay? 
It's in sections. And then they put a cover on it. And they staple the back of it. And they trim the edges. They put it in a box. And then we send those boxes to missionaries. I sent 68 containers. About 16 million of these now in 16 different languages. In fact, the last week of October, I'm going to be sending one to India with Telugu and Tamil in it. And then another one the first week of November with Telugu and Tamil in it from down in Georgia area. This one will be out of Missouri area. In April, they sent a container of this right here. This is called a parallel edition. On one side of the page, if I ask somebody to read it, you'd say, I can't read that. But if you look on the other column, it's in English. This is Chichewa, which went to 7,000 different tribes in Africa that speak this language. And yet they're not able to get a hold of a Bible that we take for granted. They don't have bookstores where they can get a Bible like we take for granted. The missionary who received this tells of all of the individuals over there that are begging to have a copy of it. And he sends me pictures all the time. And my wife tries to post them on our Facebook page so that people can see where those people who have a soul, like you have a soul, gets a hold of this. And literally, no matter what they're doing, they will start reading. And they'll just keep going. And I've seen them miss their bus. I've seen them miss all kinds of things. Except greed. In fact, we've had people in those countries of the world where they're passing this out. People read it, they get to something, and they'll look around and they'll see that. And they'll just go over there and say, Hey, would you tell me what this means? Will you explain this right here? And we see millions of people accept Christ as their Lord and Savior as a result of these. And I get this anywhere in the world for about a quarter of a copy. This is the most powerful thing on earth, God's Word. This has the most important message out of all the books you can read. This has the most important message. Why not send the whole Bible? I would love to send the whole Bible. Do you know what? What does the Gospel of John tell you? About Jesus Christ and how that He is and is able to be the one to save us. And what does Romans tell us? How to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Two of the most important books, I think, in the Bible. We've been able to send this so that people can accept Christ as Savior. We've seen thousands of churches get started. You say, really? Yeah. I have been to India four times. I've been to Bhutan. We had that lesson this morning on Buddhism. Let me tell you later about the rest of that. That was an experience for five days over there. You don't have children. You just facilitate them to come back from the past life because they deserve a second opportunity. And at five years old, they go off to the school and get trained by the monks. You don't have children. You don't teach and raise children. They raise them in that religion. Hmm. Hinduism. I can tell you about it all. I've been there. Lived amongst the Islamic people. Oh, how wicked. We have a message, folks. What are we doing with it? We have churches that will help. They get this, they put it together. They give us the money to do this and then to send it to missionaries so that they can see people get saved. In India, in other countries in the world, in Africa, in the Philippines, that I have the privilege to go to, 
I've been able to see the people and talk to them and hear their testimony and how the Lord spoke to them just by reading this. I, I was in the Philippines at a youth camp. There's over 400 youth there, and all of them brought it to youth camp because that's the only Bible that they had. And so I preached out of John and Romans for youth camp for a week. But in the public schools there, praise the Lord for that testimony this morning here telling you to do that. Great. Take your Bible to school. Amen. I remember in school when I could take my Bible. In fact, a teacher read from the Bible and prayed at school. But those kids came. They had an hour's lessons from the Bible from pastors in the school. <coughs> Most of them had already received Christ as their Savior. We had 38 get saved at camp. I want to come invitation time and ask them if they would be willing to serve the Lord with their life, just like Romans 12 1 says. We had over two thirds of those kids come forward. Wait, 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 stop. No, I, I don't think you understood. I'm not asking for all of you to come forward. I'm asking for only the ones who are dedicating their life. And they all came. And there's the Lord for that. Amen. I've done some follow-up with some of those national pastors to find out now that there are people that have been saved as a result of this, came to camp even, or didn't come to camp, surrendered their life to the Lord, and now they're pastoring churches in remote villages around the world as a result of somebody giving the money, somebody working it up, and somebody sending it. We are right now working on four different languages to send. I've got about a million two hundred thousand of these out being worked on. We just bought a tractor trailer load of paper. That's what I do, is I buy a truckload at a time. There's about 40 rolls of paper that are 34 inches wide and 50 inches tall. They weigh about 1,800 pounds a piece. And they'll put two of them on the press and they'll run it through that press and out comes the scripture on the other end. We get that to churches then that will then tithe with their time by putting the scripture together like this and cutting it and putting it in boxes so that we can send it to a soul that needs Jesus Christ or Savior. Oh, to go to Africa and to hear those people over there, I never knew. Nobody had ever told me. I'm so glad that you sent that. And to see those that have now through their life and are going back to dangerous places. When I was in Kenya, I was at a Bible college over there, Brother Robert Mickey. I don't know if you know him or not. He started 18 churches in places like Somalia, Sudan, South Sudan, Congo, Burundi, Kenya, all the neighboring countries around him because he cares. What does God have for your life? Oh, I could have said as a kid in Southeast Kansas, I'm just going to be a farm kid the rest of life. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't take that wrong. What does God have in store for your life? What does he really want you to surrender your life to do? I have no idea of seven. I had no idea of 14 when I started dedicating my studies towards being an engineer. I had no clue, even as an army guy, being in the military, traveling the world, what the Lord really wanted me to do. But when he put me in the place and presented me with the right person, he says, this is the reason. I have no doubt 
This is what God's called me to do. And it's been such a privilege now since September the 1st, 2001, to go to churches and get them involved in sending the most important thing, most important message, so that they may know the most important decision that they'll ever make. You know, out of all the decisions that you make in life, none of them are eternal except for one. That one is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You accept Christ as your Savior. You not just make one that's going to make your life here on earth happier. Joy, not happiness. You'll have joy. Amen. But also, you're going to spend eternity in heaven now. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've made the decision. Okay? You say, well, I haven't made one. But your rejection of, once you've been challenged with, is a decision. Well, I used to tell privates out in the military. I'd look at them and ask them a question. They didn't do anything. I've got your answer. I didn't say that. Your decision was a decision. You not accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior is a decision to spend eternity in hell. Now you have, if you have Christ as your Savior, you have the opportunity to witness to other people. What you do with that is a temporal while here on earth decision. But accepting Christ your Savior is an eternal decision. I praise the Lord for the churches that are helping us to present to them the eternal decision help that they need and get out of those wicked religions and cults that are out there so that they might know Jesus Christ or Savior. I love that verse. Why? Romans 12.1. Do I love it? Because I have the wonderful privilege of suffering to accept Christ as my Savior and now give my life to the Lord. And oh, what a life it's been. I had no clue. But praise the Lord, through everything that I've been able to do, I've been able to witness to people so that they may know and make the decision. This morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know that answer. And now you've been presented with the fact that you need to do something about it. If you don't know Jesus Christ your Savior, you need to come and ask and accept Him as your Savior. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, now I'm going to ask the next question. What are you doing with it? We clearly see in the Word of God that we're to present our body a living sacrifice, holy except one in, which is what? Our reasonable service. And are we doing our reasonable service now? Are we giving our life to the Lord and telling others about the Lord so that they too might be able? You know that answer. Are you? We're going to have an invitation here in just a little bit. But if the Lord's speaking to you about an area of your life that you need to surrender, or maybe even salvation during invitation time is the time for you to make that decision. You see the endless possibilities that are out there and the things that you can do if you only allow the Lord to have your life. Stand, if you would, to your feet, heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful opportunity to be here at Elk Point this morning. Lord, with these individuals that are here, they have a soul. Lord, you know that soul's eternal destination. 
You know if they've accepted you as their Lord and Savior, but also you know, Lord, whether they're serving you with the life that you're giving them in the way that you want them to live it. Lord, there's endless possibilities setting here today and are available. And I pray that you're speaking to the hearts of each and every one that are here. Lord, I thank you for saving me at a young age and allowing me to be in the service doing the things that I'm doing for you. I ask, Lord, that you'd guide and direct me on this invitation time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.